Before we get into the show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects all your teams together. Plus, they have a bunch of resources to help you scale, and they offer discounts up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. On today's show, we are breaking down some of the most unexpected arbitrage opportunities in marketing today. We're going to tell you what's undervalued and where you should be putting your money instead of where you're spending your marketing budget today. I am joined by two very special guests, Kossum and Ralph, who co-host Perpetual Traffic Podcast and are experts in paid and performance marketing. And that's what we're going deep in today. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Kip. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the marketing budgeting time of the year. You know, and everybody's thinking about what they're spending money on next year. So given that people are already probably, if they're watching the show, they're spending money on Google and Meta. Like maybe it's a little, maybe it's a lot, but they're probably spending money there. Those are the two dominant players in digital marketing. I'd love to start on the Meta side of things. What are some of the most undervalued inventory kind of ad units strategies on meta right now that people should consider as they're planning for next year i so i want the secrets all right i want the like oh people are stupid for not doing this it is very obvious to me that there's more opportunity there and nobody's yeah. doing it. for you i will give you the real good ones just fyi i would expect yeah, no less i feel honored i think one of the most overvalued assets on meta especially right now is website conversion campaigns. Okay. Everyone is continuing to do them. CPMs continue to rise, especially right now when we're sort of right between the holidays. We just came through Black Friday, Cyber Monday as of this recording. Everybody was using it. Can you break down for everybody who might not be familiar with that particular ad unit, like what that actually does, what it is, like give us the 30 second like baseline. So when you log into your meta account, your meta ad account, they basically give you a choice as to what your objective is. And so it couldn't be a number of different objectives. And one of the objectives that as a performance marketing agency owner that we typically will use, and most of our ads are done this way, is the conversion objective or website conversion objective, meaning we either want to get a lead or we want to get a sale. So those are the two types of things that folks typically will hire us for. Like, I want it as fast as I possibly can, which is great because there is a specific market you know, within the meta platform that will allow you to go after that particular audience who is maybe not in market, but has the propensity to buy at that particular point in time. And those people are lumped into a website conversion sort of circle within the larger circle of your audience. Let's say you've got a 2 million person audience, maybe within that 2 million person audience that you're targeting, maybe 200,000 or 100,000 or maybe in market for your particular product or service. So what website conversion objective does is it focuses your advertising dollars on that small little circle within the larger audience. And that website conversion objective is the one that most performance marketers use. And you're like, it is overused Overused. and people are doing it too much. A lot of people use it almost exclusively 
Mm. which is fine. I think when you're first starting and what we've seen is that with a lot of businesses, they can get to a very great level of success depending on how big their market is and who they're targeting. Obviously, the smaller niche markets, the harder it is to scale with that particular objective because there's only a finite number of people that are in market at that particular point in time when you're showing them the ad on Meta, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Reels, it doesn't matter where it is, but within the Meta platform. Yeah. So that objective is overused, but it's the logical place for folks to go because they want to put a dollar in and get a dollar back or maybe two or three dollars back out. And the website conversion objective allows them to do that relatively quickly. What happens is that everyone in your space, especially if you have, say, you have a product in the health and wellness space, you'll have all of your competitors competing against those same people, that same subset of in market, sort of at the zero moment of truth, I'm ready to make a purchase, or maybe I've shown some kind of purchase behavior, maybe my web browsing behavior, or maybe the pages that I like, or my previous behaviors on the meta platform will put me into that small subset of category. And the website conversion objective will focus my ad dollars on those individuals. So as a result of that, your competitors are competing against the same thing and your CPMs start going up. Your price is going up, up and up is what you're saying. And the one point I'd like to emphasize around this before we talk about some of the opportunities is if you're looking for trends, if you're out there and you're like, how do I find opportunities? I will always tell you the most expensive stuff and the least opportunities is going to be the things that are the most measurable and the closest to the actual purchase, right? Because, oh, there's this very clear ROI formula that we can get. It's fairly obvious. Like I don't have to go convince my CFO or anybody else that that makes sense. It just kind of works. Right. And the further you get away from that, the more possible opportunity they may, may be because there's more kind of like judgment strategy, like real point of view necessary to make those decisions. Do you agree 100%, with that? 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's those are the people that are most desirable for your business. So it stands to reason that if you started a meta campaign today and you were selling you know, your health and wellness product, you would go out, you would choose that objective and you would pick as your objective sales. I want to get sales of my product right now. So as a result of that, everyone else is doing the same thing. What we're seeing, especially right now, is at this time of year, CPMs for those types of campaigns are astronomical. They just double, oftentimes That's triple, huge. because there's so much competition. You have all this dumb money, which is maybe larger brands <laughs> that are using that objective that are just spending as much as they possibly can for Cyber Monday and, and Black Friday and into the holidays. So that's where everyone is going. What we've found is that at a certain point, you achieve a level of scale. And this actually goes over to the Google side, which Kasim will talk about. That would be like the high intent-based keywords in Google search. Mm -hmm. Everyone's searching. If I have a health and wellness product, everybody's searching for those and everyone, my competition is bidding on them. So they're pure website conversion in the case of Google, they're in market, like they're ready to buy. They're actively searching. Remember on Meta, they might be in market, but they're not actively searching. It's still interruption marketing. So what we have found is that to tap into a different subset of individuals, like I said before, if you're choosing a 2 million person audience, website conversion, the objective, will focus on maybe 200,000 of those people, maybe 100,000. How do you expand that and how do you actually get lower CPMs and tap into people who are maybe not right ready to buy now, but might be 
if you just engaged with them with your brand and how can you do it affordably? And what we found is putting a layer ahead of that, which we call the consideration layer, and then even a layer above that, which is the awareness layer. And those are different objectives, much less CPM. How much cheaper? Sometimes 10 to 20 times less. 10 to 20 times less. This is what I'm talking about. If you move even just a little bit away from that direct purchase, the costs just start dropping. 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 And consideration might be maybe not a purchase in this case, Kip. Might be just a lead for, you know, 20% coupon, something like that. Mm -hmm. So those are a little bit more competitive. Maybe those are, you know, five to 10 times less because you're not getting the sale right then and there. You're not competing against everybody else for the sale. But then as soon as you go into the awareness phase, which is the reach objective, video view objective, all of a sudden, you're in a blue ocean. And we talk about this all the time on the podcast. Yeah. It's sort of the red ocean of marketing and there's a blue ocean of marketing. What we found is that businesses can reach a certain level of scale, depending on how big the market is, by swimming in that red ocean. But at a certain point, it's a point of diminishing returns. No matter how much you spend, you can't spend any more. The red and blue ocean metaphor comes from a book called The Blue Ocean Strategy. One of the seminal books of the founding of many companies, HubSpot, where I work, it was one of the first, I think, literally in the very first real HubSpot office, we named conference rooms after important people to the company. I think we had 10 conference rooms, and two of them were named after the co-authors of the Blue Ocean Strategy. Like, that's how seminal this book is. But inherently, it's like, if the ocean's red, it means it's highly competitive, right? And if the ocean's blue, it's wide open, there's not a ton of competition, and you know what? It's easier to catch fish in a blue ocean than in a red ocean, which is kind of the extended metaphor here. And what you're saying is the further you go away from that actual transaction, the bluer the ocean. Right. Correct. Right. And which means things get cheaper and you have and things get cheaper because you have much less competition and it might be easier to stand out if your messaging is clear and, you know, your targeting is correct and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. That's the whole point of it. So if you go just a little bit higher in the conversion ladder, instead of just going for the sale, like we always will start with the website conversion objective, obviously. Like that's that's the quickest way to get revenue and return on ad spend yeah. and hit KPIs and all those sorts of things. But if you can just set aside a small portion for these other areas, what we see is that you then start to create, and we've noticed this especially maybe in the personal injury law niche and the service-based niche. Like we have a lot of customers that come out with a lead, a phone call, and then ultimately a booked appointment and then a sale. And the sale might be tens of thousands of dollars. It might be millions of dollars in many cases. Sure. You're not going to get them on the first touch. So you have to have multiple touches. But the point is, is you might start with that first touch to get the conversion or try to get the conversion. But as you scale, you realize that, all right, that's just a losing proposition. Uh, you really need to go up the ladder a bit and create your own audiences. So in that example that I used before in the health and wellness space, let's say you've got an audience of 2 million people, website conversion is converging on those 100,000 people. But then there's 1.8 million in that audience that we know is interested in health and wellness. They're just not ready yet. What reach campaigns and video view campaigns at the awareness or even the consideration level, they expand your audience and then you retarget them with maybe one to two to three steps and you can lower your cost per acquisition in doing so. And that's what we've seen for a lot of brands that want to get to that next level of scale and have struggled to do it. 
And we oftentimes do it, you know, in concert with the Google Ads platform as well. Yeah, Ralph, in a minute, I'm going to come back to you with a question on specific ad units for those other strategies. But what I want to frame for everybody watching and listening is because the economics are so drastically different, you can get a cheaper net cost of customer acquisition by spreading your money out more diverse across those three categories of ad units, right? Awareness ad units, consideration ad units versus kind of direct conversion ad units, the website conversion ad unit that Ralph, you gave as an example. Because the other two are so much cheaper, you can take your direct conversion down by 50%, but only spend half of that money on those other parts and end up with the same number of customers for less money because you're playing that blue ocean game. But to your point, Ralph, it's a sequence game. You have to have multiple touch points with that potential buyer through those different advertising units. You can't just have one awareness ad out there and then some website conversion. You're like, all right, here's my couple of awareness ad units. Here's my handful of consideration ad units. I understand how they're mapping together. It's logical for the customer as to what that experience is like that would move them closer and closer into buying. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to do it all at once. Like people think, oh, right. well, I don't want to do branding ads. I'm a performance marketer. I, you know, I want yeah. a sale right now. Well, that's great. You can get that. But I'm not saying shift 90% of your budget all of a sudden into awareness and consideration campaigns. What we will typically do, we have a case study that we have right now that, you know, we're, we've presented a number of times where we have the website conversion side for both Google and Facebook working quite well but then shifted just small amounts of the Facebook or the meta budget over to more consideration campaigns. And what happened is that the Google spend stayed the same. The meta spend went from $7,000 a month to $70,000 a month, but their cost per acquiring a customer dropped by 60% and their Google spend stayed exactly the same. So to your point, if you start to sort of slowly mix in these other objectives, you'll see the net effect on all of your different channels. And in most cases, most of our clients are working with lots of different channels. We actually share some clients as well, like in the Google and the Meta side, which is why the podcast kind of works pretty well. The point is, is that exactly what you're saying, it, you, you have to take it maybe just one step at a time. I'm not saying wholesale strategy change here. But what we're starting to do is just, all right, 10% of your budget, let's just push it over here. And then maybe 20%, and then maybe 30%. Where you get to ultimately, the, the sweet spot is really a sort of a 60-40. And we have a number yeah. of customers who are there right now, but a lot of them don't want to make the shift. So it's, it's harder for them to realize, oh, I don't want to spend money on things that aren't making me money. Well, they actually are. You just have to sort of look at it a little bit differently and do it gradually. If you are watching today's show and you're of the mind of like, oh, I completely disagree. I'm, I don't do any of this brand stuff. I just want this performance stuff. I'm going to tell you about what I call a magical slide. I feel like internally in the work I do at HubSpot, we have a handful of slides that I think are magical. They just click in a point that's really important. And we have a slide that is all the regions we serve. So, you know, North America, Latin America, France, Germany, et cetera. And our aided and unaided awareness in those markets, and then our return on our direct response ad spend in those markets. And I will tell you, there's an exceptionally high correlation between the higher your awareness, the lower the cost of your direct response 
ad spend, the higher the ROI. The lower your awareness, the way, way worse the ROI. You're talking like multiple exponents here. You're not talking like 10% difference. You're talking three to seven X difference, depending on your awareness. And that to me, it's a magical slide because it is just validates that, oh, brand marketing is performance marketing, right? It's all connected together. And if you are not doing this kind of diverse approach, then you're not going to be successful, right? And so that's what I would hammer home for everybody watching today. That being said, we're about to go over the Google stuff, but Ralph, on that brand and consideration side, what are some of the ad units that you feel like and you have seen through the work you're doing that are undervalued, that if people are buying what you're selling, what I'm selling, you're like, oh, I'm going to get off that like 100% direct response drug and I'm going to spend 10% of my money over here. What should they do? I mean, I think the easiest one is uh, lead ads. And we've done a number of shows just recently with uh, yeah. a couple of guests uh, on our show on this. Is that lead ads, which typically in the past, when they came out five, six years ago, were really kind of garbage. <laughs> we get really cheap leads. I, I would attest yeah. to that. They did not work for us for quite a they while. <laughs> uh, we tried them. Yeah. But what we found is that that next sort of stage, if that's a consideration ad, so that's getting the lead as opposed to just going for the sale. What we found is that if they're done right now with the form fields that are being used, to the there's lots of different parameters that you can actually enter in to make a higher quality lead and make sure that the email address is a legit email address. It's not just the one that they used to create their Facebook account like back in 2009. There's ways in which you can actually screen those people coming in so that those leads are lower cost and as good, if not better quality than typical like website conversion leads that are being sent off channel. So I would say that right unto itself is something that if you have any amount of experience with Meta, Facebook specifically, revisit lead ads. They're transformative. They've transformed a, a number of our customers because we have added additional fields to qualify them. And especially if it, that lead is being sent to a sales team, being sent into HubSpot, integrates with HubSpot perfectly into Salesforce. Like it's perfect for leads coming in and then salespeople really being able to make that next level of sale. So you still do get conversions. You're just one step removed from it in many cases. That is a great signal of arbitrage and opportunity when you have a product or an ad unit that maybe doesn't have the hottest start like lead ads was a little wonky. It was new. People weren't really sure. And so it like never took off and was this obvious thing when it started years ago. And that like, it matters. Like it, it, the, the growth curve is decelerated. Even now that it's a good product, less people are using it because of that initial perception. And that is often a good signal of like, oh, there is probably real opportunity here. I would say that anything that Meta and or Google introduces initially usually stinks. I mean, it just doesn't work. Right, because it's well. a test. They're trying to figure yeah. it out, right? I mean, there was a time, Kip, when we thought Instagram ads didn't work. Like, just I to, remember that time. Imagine that. Like that, now it's like half our ad spend. I mean, imagine if we had just said, ah, Instagram doesn't work. So it's the same sort of thing with lead ads. Go back and, you know, there's instant forms. There's all kinds of ways you can qualify. You can almost turn it into a quiz funnel. I mean, they're really good. So I would say that ad unit is a good one. Give us one more. The other one at the top of funnel is really is just brand awareness video without any call to action. Oh, okay. Tell me more. So you might take your best, highest converting website conversion video ad 
and then just plunk it in a brand awareness campaign. And first off, your CPMs, your cost per thousand is going to be probably 10 times less into a video view campaign or a brand awareness campaign where you're basically, you're going out, you're just, you're going to those other people that aren't in market yet, but maybe are interested potentially in your product, but aren't ready to buy right now. So you need to introduce them to your brand. So what we found is that brand awareness reach campaigns, video view campaigns with just video itself. And remember, in-app, in the meta app, if somebody watches a percentage of those videos, they can then be captured in-app and retargeted with more of a website conversion ad or maybe a yes. consideration ad. That's a, a big ad. point here. And then sort of take them down that line, take them down that path. So multiple steps here, and we always argue about this on the show, is like, how many steps does it take to to get somebody to convert? Is it seven, like traditional marketing? Is it five? There's no number. It's as few as you can make it's happen. As few as you can make it happen. It's like, you know, you know, what got you drunk? Was it your first beer or your ninth beer? You know, <laughs> uh, somewhere in between there is probably the answer. The point is, is they all yes. contribute it. So I don't know what the right. number really is, and this is what I do, but the point is, is that I know it's more than one. So just yes. that's human nature. And especially if you're asked, your conversion is a high value purchase, you really do need to think in terms of what is that customer journey and how do I do it in the more natural way in which people buy. So this is the last kind of thing I'll say on the, the meta arbitrage side of things. The video ad without a call to action. The reason that is so good is because of that retargeting motion that you talked about, right? What you're essentially saying is you're paying 10x less to capture that person watching that video, but then you can retarget them with the same type of website conversion ad that you would pay 10 times as much for. Mm. And like that's exceptionally powerful just because you're willing to do one extra step to do a little bit more legwork that a lot of people aren't often willing to do or don't understand how to do or aren't willing to take the risk to try to do, right? And so that, when we are talking about opportunities, is how you wanna think about these things. Sure. We'll be right back, but let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Kossum has been sitting here. He's been patient. He's been chilling. You know, he's, he's ready to roll. We got to talk about Google. You are our resident Google expert on the show. And I want to talk, I'd love if you just did the same thing. What's the most overrated, overvalued thing 
on the Google ad platform right now and then give us some of the dirt, some of the real opportunities. You know, people look at Google and Meta as though they're massively disparate and they're not at all. They function the exact same way. And what we've been talking about here is just the sales funnel. And if you picture, if you're listening to this and you picture a sales funnel in your mind's eye, split it into three distinct segments. At the extreme bottom of the funnel is intent. I am going to buy this. I need to get from Los Angeles to New York and I'm either going to do a plane ticket or I'm going to rent a car or I'm going to do a bus, but I'm going to go for, you know, I'm, I'm moving. If you move up one standard deviation, that's consideration. If you move up one standard deviation, that's awareness. And Meta and Google both function the same way. And what we're talking about here is a time money matrix. At the bottom of the funnel, it's the fastest and the most expensive. When you move up the funnel, and this is, I think, more true inside of Google than Meta because Google does maybe a better job from bottom to middle delineation. Moving from intent to consideration, so moving up the funnel, you know, maybe it's half as much, but it takes three times as long. And what that matrix looks like is going to be dependent upon your industry. And when you move up to awareness, you know, it's a tenth as much, but it takes a hundred times as long or whatever. So it's always a time money matrix trade-off to speak to arbitrage specifically though, and hopefully nobody thinks I'm pulling a parlor trick. I hope that you are. I don't parlor tricks are welcome here. It's well, we'll see whether or not I think parlor tricks are entertaining. So you feel free to, to pop my bubble, Kip. Uh, I will. I don't think the arbitrage between awareness consideration and intent, it's not the sexiest narrative because markets are so efficient, especially when it comes to AI-driven media buying. That time money matrix is actually relatively easy for us to identify. That's why, like, you know, in the HVAC industry, for instance, five years ago, HVAC key phrases were two to three dollars a click. Two years ago, they were 20 to 30 dollars a click. Today they're 50 to 60. Now here's what's crazy. <laughs> it takes the average wow. HVAC customer is worth about $250 for the first service. So if you're paying $50 for a click and you're not closing one out of five leads, and how many businesses out there are closing one out of five leads? Not that many. You're not self-liquidating. You're not profitable on the front end which means that businesses are either massively inefficient and spending horribly, which I don't actually think is the case, or you have organizations that are so efficient, they know I'm going to get four services out of my average customer. I can afford to pay three services Correct. worth. And there, there are industries, the SaaS world is, is notorious for this, not to slander our collective environment. Well, look, as a SaaS person, we are notorious Well, because this, SaaS so is so I'm reliable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such, it's a reliable form of monetization. And so you want to lift yourself out of this commoditized One of the ecosystem. best business models of all time. Here's my recommendation for arbitrage, speaking to directly what it is you're talking about. Like, where's the secret pockets of traffic that people don't think about? It's out of the funnel. The minute you're in the funnel, it's now commoditizable. And everybody can see it. Some private equity spreadsheet has Dude, figured this out. That's this is exactly the point right. you're making. That's yeah, what you're saying. Goldman Sachs kid. Is it's like you there. can't outspreadsheet the spreadsheet. You're exactly sharps. right. The minute like, it's in the funnel, you. it's spreadsheetable. Yes. So we have awareness, consideration, intent. I propose a new phase of the funnel. I'm going to call it, and we're coining this on this podcast. Okay. We're about to make history. Oh, please. Let's, uh, let's somebody's do probably it. already said this, by the way, but it's the best. Drum roll, please. Let's go. Pre awareness. Pre-awareness. I like this. I haven't said that before. So you heard it here That's first. Right. Pre-awareness. Hashtag copyright trademark. Okay. Pre-awareness. <laughs> pre-awareness. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. To cost them as an awesome with the coinage. Uh, the Let's thing go. about pre-awareness is, and, and it's not the first time this has ever been done from an advertising perspective, but I think it's, it's not something that people think of often, especially traditional media buyers. You're not targeting somebody who is problem aware, solution aware. That's irrelevant. Instead, you're targeting people based off of who you know they are, so intrinsic qualifications of intent, and how who they are allows you to serve them on a, an adequate timeline. So three examples that I wrote down here while we were talking. If you buy raw land, I know for a fact I can sell you numismatic coins. If you are looking for a doula 
I know your crunchy granola slightly left is hippie, and I can sell you Montessori schools. <laughs> if you're a vegan bodybuilder, I know I can sell you pea protein. Do you know what I mean? A vegan bodybuilder is not in the funnel for pea protein. Mm. But when you Correct. start searching for content, engaging with articles, watching videos, doing, again, intrinsic qualifications of avatar assignment, you know, I'm a pseudo-libertarian, wannabe intellectual, avid reader. And now I just said those things and there's a hundred thousand, and I'm not even being hyperbolic. I really mean this. There are a hundred thousand catalytic events that could take place from a purchase perspective based off of, what did I give you? Five data points? Sure. You know, of you know, course. you can sell me Ron Paul books. You can probably send me a tinfoil hat. You can definitely sell me guns and ammo. And, and so when you start to advertise to people from a pre-awareness perspective, the thing about that traffic is it's not even on the time money matrix. It's effectively free. We're talking pennies of you because you're going to Meta and going to Google and saying, hey, I mean, it's not even blue ocean anymore. It's like nobody wants this water at all. It's, it's the Arctic it's Ocean. It, it, there, it, there ain't no boats up there. Water, there yeah. no boats you're up saying, there. hey, nobody wants this. Nobody's using it. Give me this traffic as long as people fit in these massively broad bubbles. And it's up to you as the advertiser. And this is the dangerous part. And it's easier said than done. It's up to you as the advertiser to decide, oh, this equals this. You went to Arizona mm -hmm. State University. You have a low IQ. Just kidding. But you know what I mean? Like there are these tendrils that are tied to things and it, it requires you to make assumptions and stereotype people and, and do all the things that we're not supposed to do. But the truth is that when you do it well, it works. And, and I'll give you one very specific example that actually works in my business. I had the highest performing real estate investment campaign on the planet for seven years. I sold that agency in 2019. Before we sold, we were going up against companies like Homevestors, which are the big, 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 big dogs in the space, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. The Homevestors' average cost per lead in the, the city of Phoenix was $550. My average cost per lead was 70. Now, here's the problem. Homevestors was carpet bombing the industry with, we'll buy your house fast for cash. What we did is we ended up identifying there's about 15 reasons that people sell their house. Generally speaking, sell their house at a discount. Mm -hmm. And there are things like job loss, relocation, divorce, sickness in a family, death of a family member, probate, et cetera. So, we started, and this sounds predatory, and I guess it was in certain ways. You're like, if it sounds like it, it was? It seems if, yeah, right. that's exactly right. <laughs> if you started searching for, uh, now sell my house fast for cash was you know a couple hundred dollars a click, but divorce attorney in Arizona was 30. So it's a yeah. pre-awareness. You don't even know you're going to sell your house yet. But I know if you're shopping for a divorce attorney that at some point you're going to have to have a property conversation, especially if I can further buttress that demographically. So I, you really want to talk arbitrage, man. I think the opportunity is in the pre-awareness phase. Well, yeah, what you're saying for everybody watching is that nobody ever just makes one buying decision. Right. They make a series of buying decisions, right? And there's a, normally an order of operations to those buying decisions. And... If you know that you are not the first one, right? If, you, if you're not the, the number one in the order of operations of buying decisions, then you have some opportunity to figure out, hey, where am I? So let's use your home sales example. It's like, oh, well, if somebody's getting a divorce and they're selling their house, well, they've got to first decide they're getting a divorce, which means they're probably looking at counseling. Then they're looking at lawyers. Mm -hmm. If they have children, they're looking at child, like, Custody you know, laws. everything around like child yeah. law and all that kind of stuff. And then they're getting to the point where they have to sell their house. And you're basically saying like, oh, in this example, all of those other segments, they could be, the economics there could be much cheaper to target people looking for those things than for the thing that I'm selling, even though I know that they're going to come and buy the thing that I'm selling eventually, exactly right. right? And that's where the arbitrage is. And I think this is a brilliant point because 
we too often are are self-involved and we look at we look at just one buying thing. Oh, you're going to buy my thing versus, oh, I know all the things you're going to buy and I know how I fit in mm-hmm. to that universe of what you're going to buy. And I would say if you're watching the show, the other point I would make is this strategy would be especially valuable if you're in a, what I'd call a, a green field. You know, if we're going to get out of the ocean onto the land where you're in a market where it's a newer market. Maybe you're the only person in that market or category, or there's only a very few people. And actually, the problem is people just don't know much about your category. Mm. If you're in a market where like everybody knows about you, it's very saturated, then this strategy is going to work, but it's not going to work as well. If you're in a market where the vegan bodybuilder is a good example, it's like, oh, there's like a handful of pea protein companies, right? There's not like a thousand. There's like probably 20. And that's a, a niche of the market. It's a newer market in the grand scheme of things. And so that's an interesting place. I can go and actually target those people across different buying journeys. Whereas if you're talking about a much more established market, it might be harder. But there's still going to be opportunity. Your HVAC example is a good example of that, right? Like that's a very established market, but you still can find real opportunity. So I love that as a practice. Now tell me if you're going to do that on the Google or YouTube or anywhere on the platform, like how would you go about doing yeah. that? Because everybody's like, all Most right, I'm kind HVAC. of interested in this. I might, I might spend a little bit of money to test this out. What would you go Here's with? Here's what's funny is people, people are so interesting as to where they're willing to spend money. And I'll give you uh, maybe more specificities of what I mean. Take the HVAC company as an example. 50 to $60 a click if somebody says like, oh, my AC blew up and I need emergency repair right now, right? And that 50 to yeah. 60 is average nationwide. If you're in a major metro, you could be paying easy a couple hundred dollars per click. It's unbelievable because these companies are so efficient and they know on a long enough timeline they're going to profit, but we continue to whittle down on the profit. So what if somebody goes to YouTube, which is where the world goes to learn? The average time on site across the internet is 90 seconds. The average time on YouTube is almost 20 minutes. So YouTube is an undiscovered mecca of traffic. It is hell amazing, yes. amazing repository. Somebody goes to YouTube and says, how do I change the filter on my ACU? And what if, and this is where we're going to talk about expenditure. What if you don't just run an ad because teaching people how to change the filter on their ACU need are really going to earn, you know, earn their hearts and minds. What if you actually offer to come down and do a free service in their AC unit? And you think to yourself like, dude, I can't offer, I can't go and do a free service on everybody's AC unit in this one zip code. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, well, what does that cost you? You know, your tech is making 35 bucks an hour, and then there's the call time, and then there's the gas. And so you're going to spend, let's say it's, you know, 90 to $100 in total, plus whatever the cost per acquisition on the customer is going to be. But because it's YouTube, pre-awareness, it's going to be very, very little. So you just spent 100 bucks, but you got somebody in somebody's home, belly to belly, shook their hands, gave them something of immense value. And you're able to take your little sticker and slap it on the front of their AC unit that says, the next time you need help, call this number. Exactly. And you service their AC unit and you're like, hey, you know what? You got to do this, 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 and this. In six months, nine months, 12, 18 months, whatever, I've earned your love and respect and I did it for less than the $250 to $300 cost per appointment that I would have spent at the extreme bottom of the funnel. So that would be the pre-awareness pivot is, and you know who does this really well, and they don't even do it with paid ads, but discount tire. Okay. I went to Discount Tire yesterday, and in Arizona, it gets really, really hot. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and when it gets really, really hot- It's got to be real hot there. Yeah. If things melt, you can bake cookies in your car. <laughs> and Discount Tire will check your tire pressure for free, and they've got a line. Dude, how hard is it to check your tire pressure? You Not know what I mean? Hard. It takes four seconds with a, a 90-cent little 
pin thing that you can get it, but I don't do it myself. I sat in line for 45 minutes and I let the kid at discount do my tire pressure for me. And now that he's done that, I will forever buy my tires at discount tire. Yeah. Because they've earned my love in a way that was value first, give first. And you can do that exact same thing digitally. So whatever the equivalent is in your business where somebody's like, how do I change the filters on my AC unit? There's not an HVAC company in the world that wants that work because it's easy to do. But that's what I want as the consumer. I need to know how to change my filters. I never think I'm doing it right. I don't even know which way they're supposed to face. And if they're backwards, (laughs) the filter doesn't work properly. And I don't know when it's supposed to be serviced, et cetera, et cetera. You could do that. It would cost you less than the traffic would cost you otherwise. And you'd actually have earned a customer for life. Perfect. Okay, I love that. So that, we talked pre-wariness. We talked about the power of YouTube. We talked about the power of loyalty. Lots of things that you all can go and do right away. To close out the show, I'll give you my take on the thing that's probably working most interestingly for us right now. And that is taking some of our money and going out of the big networks. So we're gonna leave Google and Facebook. We still, we, we do a lot with those folks. But there are other things you can do outside of Google and Facebook, just reminding everybody who does ads out there. And what we're doing is we're doing a lot of direct with creator partnerships. And so, like you said, YouTube is this untapped potential of a community and of a network. And we'll go directly to YouTube creators. And what we'll do is we'll identify what we have found is that kind of the mid-tier of a creator are best. So that's kind of people who have like, on YouTube, you're talking like 100,000 subscribers to maybe like a million, million and a half subscribers. Uh, not below 100,000 and not the kind of mega YouTubers. And we'll go to those folks and in different areas, like we released some AI products. So we went to some AI YouTubers and everything, for example. And we'll partner with them to do some custom videos and have like this deeply kind of like integrated call to action and add in there. And we'll do that for kind of a fixed cost basis. And what we'll see is we'll see our cost per sign up for our free product or cost per lead be really somewhere between four to eight X cheaper on average than a lot of the big platforms because we can negotiate a much better price. It is a much more native organic experience. The con is you got to do the legwork. You got to do the identification, the outreach, the management. It's not just like, hey, I'm going to put some money in a platform and five minutes later, my ads are up and running and doing all the thing. So that's the challenge. So it would be hard to spend 100% of your ad dollars that way. But can you spend 20, 30, 40% of them that way? I think you can if you can build a really good program. And that's what we have been able to do. And so if you're out there and you're like, oh gosh, I need to go and get some leverage somewhere in my ad spend. Even just picking three to five creators with a really healthy audience in your market and partnering with them is a potential really great opportunity to do that if you can nail the execution of the kind of the add the call to action offer as part of the video experience and make that work. Are you going direct to the creators or are you using creator marketplaces or a little of both? We're going direct to the creators. So reaching out, you know, emailing, DMing the creators and being like, hey, we'd love to work with you. And sometimes it's like, oh, we saw you working with XYZ company. That's cool. We have an idea to do something even better than that. Let's talk and we'll kind of take it. This isn't meant to sound combative at all, Kip. I hope it doesn't come across that way. I'm very argumentative. It's welcome. So here's my question though. You have the HubSpot pedigree. You get to go to creator and be like, hey, I'm from HubSpot. You're welcome. You know, like, aren't you lucky? We're paying the money. Well, we're paying the money. But even if I had the money, I wonder, and and this is an honest question. 
Do you think that there's a way to increase the receptivity of creators to smaller yes. brands that they've never I heard actually, of? I actually don't think it's about the Okay, brand. that's good to know. That was my question. So what, what Cossum is basically putting on is like, oh, HubSpot's like a pretty well-known brand. I bet creators are like comfortable partnering with you. All the best creators that I've ever worked with and known, they don't care about the brand partnership. They care about the offer alignment to the audience. Mm. Is the thing that you're willing to offer that audience good and valuable to that audience and really align with what their audience needs? And if so, they will do it. Yeah. And if they don't, they probably won't, even if you have a great brand. Mm. Funny. Right? And we've seen that through a bunch of conversation. There's some partnerships that just didn't work out because there was just like just enough misalignment that it wasn't going to work, right? And it was probably a good thing it didn't work out. But I, I think if your offer is really good, that creator is like, oh, great. I'm monetizing, which is great, but I'm also providing a ton of value for my audience, which is really great. And so that's a win-win and I'm going to do that. I think that the essential component of what you're talking about here is the fact that you're going not to the small creators, not to the large ones, the Kardashians or the, Correct. Yeah, the rocks, but you're going that middle area where they care about their audience so much they're mm. looking for the right product match to engage their audience because it's their reputation online i think that's really really important if you find that sort of middle ground because what we found is if you go to the smaller ones they'll just do anything they'll just whore out money for whatever and then the big ones are just cool. too expensive so it's that middle ground and we found a great area we don't do this specifically but we will recommend this for a lot of our clients is creator marketplace where you can actually go and find them mm. and we'll send you a link if you want, but basically creator marketplace meta, just look that up and you can actually go find creators that match your brand and you get a sort of an idea as to what their following is. So you might be able to do what you're doing, but you're saying your normal ad spend. And then the secondary part to that is that once they actually create that ad, you can then use that in your Website conversion, your brand awareness, your consideration ads as well with their permission. Or you can advertise it on their site. There's an advertising component to it. But yeah, I think it's super, super important. So you don't necessarily have to be a HubSpot per se to be able to do it. I've seen any business, maybe doesn't have the brand awareness that you guys do, be able to do it very successfully. It's super smart. I think those are great points. I love that. Okay, we've gone long, but we went long for really good reasons because we got into the weeds of a really important topic, which is how do you get more out of the paid marketing spend that you're spending, whether you're a small consumer company, big B2B company, anywhere in between, it does not matter. We broke down Google, Meta, we talked pre-awareness, we talked creator marketing, we did it all. It was awesome. I really want to thank Cossum and Ralph for joining us. Check out the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. And if you liked what we said, drop us a comment on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, and we're back with you real soon on Marketing Against the Grain. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kip. Thanks, Kip.